0: Turn with me in God's Word to Mark's Gospel, Mark chapter 14. Mark 14 is found on page 1171 of the Pew Bible. Mark 14 is verses 12 to 26. So children, let me see who was listening to the children's talk this morning. Who wrote the gospel that we are working on this evening. Yes. John Mark, well done, okay? And John Mark he was on Paul's first missionary journey. And where did they go? Yes. Cyprus. Well done. You listened well. So Paul and Barnabas and John Mark traveled to Cyprus and we'll hear a little bit more background On John Mark this evening in our sermon. Let's read God's Word and we're reading Mark chapter 14 and it's verses 12 to 26. So listen, this is God's Word. Now on the first day of unleavened bread, when they killed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, where do you want us to go and prepare that you may eat the Passover? And he sent out two of his disciples and said to them, go into the city and a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him. Wherever he goes in, say to the master of the house, the teacher says, where is a guest room in which I may eat the Passover with my disciples? Then he will show you a large upper room furnished and prepared. There make ready for us. So his disciples went out, came into the city, and found it just as he had said to them. And they prepared the Passover. In the evening he came with the twelve. As they sat and ate, Jesus said, Assuredly, I say to you, one of you who eats with me will betray me. And they began to be sorrowful and said to him one by one, Is it I? And another said, Is it I? He answered and said to them, It is the one of the twelve who dips with me in the dish. The Son of Man indeed goes just as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had never been born. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it and gave it to them and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And then he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them. And they all drank from it, and he said to them, This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many. Assuredly, I say to you, I will no longer drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. The grass withers, flower fades, but the word our God stands forever. well, I wonder what are your family traditions? Does your family have a special get together, a family reunion, a family Christmas or Easter every year you do it in the same way there 's someone who is in charge of the food there 's another person he 's in charge or she 's in charge of the games. That particular aunt she has to bring her special dessert. That particular uncle, he has to grill. No one else can touch it. And that cousin has to impress everyone with her musical performance every year. And of course, you have to go to the same venue every year. There's nowhere better, and so you have it on automatic booking. It's a tradition. It's the same every year. And the person who suggests making a change, well, he or she is automatically frowned upon. And the one who causes a scene... Is not invited back. Well, in our passage today, we'll be considering a family tradition, the Passover, that goes back thousands of years. And during this time, the tradition has been maintained without much change. But when Jesus comes, he drops a few bombshells. But it's not that the gathering turns into chaos. No, instead, the meal now takes on a much greater significance. And so I want you to notice Jesus, in his sovereignty, he fulfills the Passover meal. And so you are to respond, trusting in him for your rescue, and look to him for his return. And so, children, I encourage you to draw a picture of all the different foods you hear that is at the Passover. But note the two foods that Jesus refers to himself. So firstly, you are to recognize Jesus' sovereignty, verses 12 to 16. So the Feast of the Passover was a national event. It was observed by every Jewish family, and it entails going to the city of Jerusalem. And we read of this command in Deuteronomy 16, you have this in your outline. Observe the month of Abid and keep the Passover to the Lord your God. For in the month of Abid the Lord your God brought you out of Egypt by night. Therefore you shall sacrifice the Passover to the Lord your God from the flock and the herd, in the place where the Lord chooses to put his name. And that, of course, is the city of Jerusalem. That meant that at the Passover time, the city of Jerusalem was swollen with the number of pilgrims who were present in that city. Finding a place then to have the Passover would not be an easy thing. And as a result, we read of the disciples wondering how they were going to observe the Passover meal. They were concerned how they would find something large enough, so last minute, a venue that would be suitable for the size of their group. But not only was there the practical issue of finding a suitable venue, there was the issue that Jesus was not popular with the religious leaders. They hated Jesus. They wanted to kill Jesus. And Jesus has already now prophesied numerous times that he was going to die in Jerusalem at the hands of the religious leaders. And last time we considered Mary anointing Jesus' body with this expensive perfume and how Jesus saw that as Mary preparing his body for burial as he expected to die very soon. And so Jesus' life was at risk, especially now, as we can read in John's Gospel, John 11, verse 57, Now both the chief priests and the Pharisees had given a command that if anyone knew where he was, he should report it, that they might seize him. So having this Passover meal would be risky for Jesus. The religious leaders, they did not want to capture Jesus when he was with the crowd. But if he was at a home, well, that would be much easier. And so this Passover meal would have to be done in secret. And we've already considered Judas's desire to betray Jesus jesus last time and so we can assume that jesus is wanting to keep this location secret from judas so that he cannot inform the religious leaders ahead of time of where they will be jesus wants nothing or no one to interrupt this passover meal and this helps us understand what's going on in this passage but it also reminds us that jesus is in complete control He tells two of his disciples to go into the city. Notice that Jesus doesn't tell all 12 to go in. No. These two disciples, Peter and John, are on this covert mission. And they are to meet a man carrying a water jar on his head. Now, that's not a normal sight. Men do not carry water jars on their heads. Women carry water jars on their heads. So this was out of the ordinary. This would be like a man carrying a purse. It would stand out. And that's because it's a signal. This would be the man that would take them to their secret rendezvous location. They're to simply follow him, not even talk to him. And it appears that Jesus had prepared this room in advance for when the disciples get to the house, they're to simply ask for the master of the house and then ask him, Where is the guest room? Jesus said that he would show them a large upper room, which would be already furnished, which would be prepared for the Passover meal. One of the commentators wonders if this house belongs to Mark, Mark's mother, Mark, the writer of this gospel. We can read in Acts 12, Mark's mother, Mary, hosting the disciples in her home in Jerusalem. And possibly that's why Mark knows so many details involved in the setup of this Passover meal. Well, verse 16, we read that the disciples did just as Jesus said, and they found the upper room all set up ready for them. And then these disciples they prepared for the Passover. And this would involve Peter and John purchasing a lamb, and then they would have to take that lamb to the temple to be sacrificed. Its blood would be dashed upon the altar and then the lamb would be roasted back in this home that Jesus had acquired for them. Hughes writes, the whole city was redolent with the inviting aroma of roasting lamb. Everyone in Jerusalem was doing this. However, this time in the upper room had an even greater significance for Jesus and his disciples. And don't we see that in our passage this evening? Even more so in John's Gospel. John's chapters 14 to 17, we have the Upper Room Discourse. Jesus needed this time of privacy with his disciples to teach them many important truths. Hughes writes, this upcoming meal was easily the most important meal eaten in the history of the world. The Passover meal would graphically explain the centrality of Christ to salvation. His blood must be wine to us and his flesh are bread. And so in the circumstances of this meal, we see Christ's sovereignty. He sets up the whole thing according to his plan. Well, secondly, notice, beware Jesus' betrayal, for he's not that different from you. Verses 17 to 21. So Jesus and his 12 disciples, we read of them reclining at the table And so you are to imagine this table in front of them. They're all lying down on couches around this meal. And they would have rested their left elbow and ate then using their right hand. So maybe that's an idea for us for our next communion service. Or maybe not. Often we have da Vinci's painting in our head when we imagine what the Last Supper looked like. In that painting, they're all seated around one side of a table... But in reality, it would have been very different. And da Vinci, he also paints Judas to be the obvious villain. He's in shadow, of course, unlike the other disciples. He's clutching this small bag, which most likely was 30 pieces of silver. He appears to have tipped over a salt cellar, which has been suggested as a sign of betraying his master. And finally, the worst crime of all. He had his elbows on the table. The Reality is, no one suspected Judas. And so when Jesus dropped the first bomb of the evening, that one of them at the table would betray him, it wasn't a case of all eyes turning toward Judas. Instead, each of them asked, Is it I? And they were sorrowful at such, at even the thought of such a thing. Judas also says, Is it I, knowing full well that it was him? He had already spoken to the chief priests and the scribes. He had already arranged to betray Jesus at a convenient time. Judas might have fooled the other disciples, but he had not fooled Christ. And again, this points to Jesus being God. He knew full well what was going on in Judas's heart. But this should have been the moment for conviction, for Judas. Similar to when Nathan confronts David about his sin, due to him committing adultery of Bathsheba and killing her husband, David repented. Well, this is Jesus confronting Judas. This is Jesus appealing to Judas not to do it. Jesus reveals. Who it is saying it's one of the twelve, it's one who dips with me in the dish. And so you're to imagine that during the meal, both Jesus and Judas seemed to accidentally dip their bread in the same dish of oil at the same time. But it was no accident. However, Judas refuses to accept that Jesus knows full well what he is going to do. Jesus says, the Son of Man indeed goes just as it was written of him. Meaning this would be how Jesus would be handed over. It had been prophesied that he would be betrayed. And we'll sing about this betrayal in the psalm after the sermon. Jesus himself had prophesied of this betrayal. Judas would be instrumental in Jesus' death. And so therefore instrumental in Jesus' provision of salvation for you and me. But we also see that Judas is responsible for his actions. Jesus said, Woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had never been born. Judas will bear the responsibility for his betrayal. And so you are to see this as a warning. Hughes writes that Jesus was reaching out to Judas quietly, intimately. He was saying, in effect, here is my friendship, here is my forgiveness. Well, John's Gospel, we read that after the piece of bread, Satan entered into him. It was as if that before that moment, Judas had an opportunity to repent. For Judas would have known that Jesus had read his heart. But Judas continued to pretend that Jesus knew nothing. And so the warning had not affected him. His heart was hardened to his sin. Ferguson writes Judas is the example par excellence of the man who believes that he can never sin his way out of the grace of God. Judas appeared to be right with God. Remember, none of the other disciples suspected him. He looked like the rest of the disciples, yet the reality was much different. His heart was hardened. He was blind to the seriousness of his sin. Judas' sin appeared to be his greed, his belief that he deserved something. And when he realized that Jesus was not going to provide him riches, well, he turns against Jesus, and he found the religious leaders who would provide for his natural, his material desires. They would fulfill his greed. That's a warning for you, too you may also be enticed by sin. But be careful. You don't become a slave to sin. In John 8, Jesus answered them, saying, "Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. So Ferguson says we are no longer free are able to choose the moment when we will engage in a mutiny of grace and overthrow its influence on us. Judas realized that when it was too late. At first, he would not repent. Eventually, he could not repent. So no wonder Judas commits suicide for what he had done. Those words that Jesus said would be better that, than that it would be better if he had never been born. Well, that became a realization for Judas. He had done this terrible thing, and so he died in despair. So, Judas is a warning to each one of you you have to deal with your sin. At this time of year, there are lots of dandelions, and it can be easy to think it doesn't matter. It's just one dandelion. What harm will it do? Well, very soon your whole yard is covered with dandelions is out of control. And for some people, including my neighbors, they end up defending their yards full of dandelions. That's what happens when you don't keep your sin in check, when you don't repent. It takes over. And before long, you don't even see the evil of your sin. You become like Jews, and so you're hardened to your sin. You're a slave to sin, that you no longer see that what you're doing is wrong. And just like it would have been better for Judas that he had never been born, the same is true for you. But thankfully, there is hope. And so thirdly, notice the Passover points to a future hope, to a deliverance from your own captivity of sin. So Moses' instructions we read uh, regarding the Passover in Exodus 12 It is a night of solemn observance to the Lord for bringing them out of the land of Egypt. This is the night of the Lord, a solemn observance for all the children of Israel throughout their generations. So this Passover meal was to inspire God's people to hope for an even greater deliverance than their deliverance from slavery in Egypt, but a deliverance from their sin. It was a meal full of ritual where the patriarch, the head of the home, would intentionally instruct those at the table to remember the various aspects of Israel's redemption from their slavery in Egypt. And so the meal was organized around four cups of wine. They begin the meal drinking the first cup of wine, and it would be accompanied with a blessing. For example, blessed art thou, Lord our God, King of the universe, who hast created the fruit of the vine. And the tradition is that the youngest child or the youngest person would ask, why do we eat these foods on this night? And the patriarch would then recount the story of the Exodus and he would use the food as visual aids in his account. The unleavened bread, because the Israelites had to leave in a hurry. They didn't have time to wait for the bread or for the dough to rise before baking it. The bitter herbs were a reminder of the bitterness of the slavery that they were under. The stewed fruits was a reminder by their color and their consistency of the mortar that was used to build the huge building projects in Egypt under Pharaoh's command. And the roasted lamb was a reminder of the lambs that were slain so their blood could be painted on the doorposts and so that the angel of death would pass over those homes. And they would respond by singing the Psalms of Hallel, Psalms 113 to Psalm 118. Then the second cup of wine would be passed around. And after that, then they would begin eating the meal, beginning with the unleavened bread. And even in eating this particular food, there would have been phrases that would have been said. And so the patriarch would give thanks for the meal and break off a piece of bread to pass around saying, this is the bread of affliction, which our fathers ate in the land of Egypt. Or, yeah, in the land of Egypt. Let everyone who hungers come and eat. Let everyone who is needy come and eat the Passover meal. And what is really tangible about this meal and the ritual that goes with it is this reminder that their forefathers were rescued. You hear of people who've been rescued from terrible affliction And often they return many years later to the place where it happened. So whether it's prisoners returning to concentration camps where they've been kept, people returning to scenes where they had had a car accident or a burning building, whatever it is, and they return because it fills them with gratitude. Well, this is as close to Egypt as the Jews were going to get. And the gratitude is real of their rescue. And they were rescued not because they were better than the Egyptians, but because of God's mercy. These Israelites would have heard the torment of the Egyptians all around them as they woke up to find the eldest meal in their household dead. Now imagine the widespread grief and misery that this would have caused. Whereas for the Israelites, they would have been filled with relief and gratitude to God. And so each generation was to take part and to remember. They were to know the gratitude of their forefathers. They were looking back, but they were also looking forward. For while the Passover was an event in the history of Israel, it was also an event to inspire hope for every generation. Leon writes, in that night they were redeemed, and in that night they will be redeemed in the future. And so they looked forward to an even greater rescue than slavery in Egypt, but from their slavery to their sin. A slavery that Judas so clearly exhibited, but a slavery that each one of them were in bondage to. And each one of you, you know the bondage to sin. And the consequence of that sin is the judgment and the hope for one who would be like that Passover lamb who would rescue them from their sin. And so fourthly let us notice Jesus is your Passover lamb. Jesus recognized that he is the Passover lamb, that he fulfilled this Passover meal. And so on this night he dropped a couple more bombshells that would transform the Passover meal so that you are without a doubt that Jesus is the Passover lamb. The bread would normally have been eaten in silence But on this occasion, Jesus speaks, and he says, Take, eat. This is my body. I am the Passover bread. This meal is about me. Now, it's not that the bread in Jesus' hand is now Jesus' physical flesh. That doesn't make sense that somehow his body would now extend to this piece of bread. No, instead, the bread represents him. And the fact that the bread was broken, well, that would point to Jesus' body being broken on the cross. Jesus was punished to pay the consequences for our sins, and that's death. But this bread is also a symbol of giving life. For a while, Jesus did die. He rose again. And so in him, you too have life. And as a result, Jesus is essential for us to have life as bread is a necessity for life. Hughes writes, through the bread we see Jesus' incarnation, death and resurrection life. Our partaking of the bread symbolizes our real participation in his life. After eating the bread they would eat the rest of the Passover meal and then they would drink the third cup of wine. Again, another blessing is given but here again, Jesus drops another bomb. He makes another huge change to this Passover meal that had been the same for generation after generation. He spoke saying, This is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for many. Again, this is shocking. Jews were not permitted to drink blood. So instead, the wine represents his blood. It was not his actual blood. And being poured out, well, that speaks of sacrifice. So just as the lamb's blood was shed on the doorposts to protect the Israelites from the judgment, so Jesus' blood would protect you from God's judgment for your sin. By them drinking from this cup, that demonstrated, demonstrated that they are communing with him. And likewise for you, you share in his blessings by being united to Christ. You know of the abundance, of his abundance in your life. All those benefits that he possesses, you too now possess. And notice this phrase, the blood of the new covenant. Well, the old covenant was solemnized by the shedding of sacrificial blood. We can read of that in Exodus twenty four. Moses took half the blood, put it in basins, and half the blood he sprinkled on the altars on the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read in the hearing of the people, and they said, All that the Lord has said we will do, and be obedient. And Moses took the blood, sprinkled it on the people, and said, This is the blood of the covenant which the Lord has made with you, according to all these words. Well, Jesus' blood sealed the new covenant. And Jeremiah prophesied of this in Jeremiah 31. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers, on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, lo, I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. And so this new covenant is greater than the covenant which the Israelites had. Jesus, the Passover lamb, the lamb of God, doesn't remove you from slavery in Egypt. But he removes you from the slavery to your sin. In him you have salvation, for his death accomplishes a new exodus. He delivers you from sin, but he brings you to himself, to his kingdom, which will never end, which is truly the land flowing with milk and honey. Jesus makes one final difference to the Passover meal. He said he would not drink the fourth cup in verse 25. They instead sang a hymn, one of the Psalms of Hallel, most likely Psalm 118, the last one that we already sang at the beginning of the service. And then they traveled to the Mount of Olives. By not drinking from this last cup, Jesus is saying that his work would not yet be made complete until he returns again. Only when his kingdom is consummated would he drink this final cup. And so this looks forward to a greater feast, to the marriage supper of the Lamb that John writes about in Revelation. Ferguson writes, like the first disciples, we should rise from the table eagerly looking forward to the day when we will drink with Jesus in his Father's kingdom. And this is all very familiar. This is what we do at every communion season. We are repeating this last supper that Jesus had with his disciples. And just like the Passover was celebrated, You and I, we celebrate the Lord's Supper. We remember the work of salvation. And in doing so, we are blessed and strengthened as you're taught to rely on God's grace. And just as the Passover was celebrated by families, so we come as a family of believers and we proclaim Christ's death until he comes. So Jesus, in his sovereignty, he fulfills the Passover meal. And you're to respond by putting your trust in him and looking forward to his return. Last meals are often important. If a friend or a family member is leaving for work in a new city or moving off to college, you want to get a last meal with them. A prisoner on death row, he gets the privilege of picking his last meal. Earlier this year, a menu from the ill-fated Titanic it sold for 88,000 first-class passengers. They dined On a 10 course meal, which featured items like oysters and salmon, chicken, lamb, duckling, and pigeon, this was their last meal. But Jesus' last meal, the Last Supper, was much more important, much more valuable. This is Jesus committing himself to you. And so each time at the Lord's Supper, you are to say, you are to think, as Dick Lucas says, you're to look back with thankfulness. You're to look within with repentance. You're to look up to the throne of God, to your advocate. You're to look around at your family of God. And you're to look forward to the reunion with Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this covenant meal that you have provided for us to remind us and to reassure us of the work of Christ and how it applies to our lives. And so we thank you for the bread and for the wine, which points to Christ's sacrifice, his broken body, his shed blood, so we can know redemption from our sin, so we can know freedom and peace. And Father, in you we have the strength to overcome sin. And so, Lord, help us not to behave like Judas, who would not repent of his sin, who denied the presence of sin in his life which led to him betraying you. And so, Lord, we ask for your grace, that we would not do the same, that we would search our hearts, and that we would confess our sin to you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's turn our psalm books to Psalm 41b. Psalm 41b, this psalm speaks of betrayal, pointing to Judas's betrayal of Christ. But we also read of deliverance, and that in God we have our eternal dwelling. Thus saying, and know the blessing of Christ's deliverance in our life. Let's stand.